Welcome back to the Refugee Report. This week's focus is the Democratic Republic of the Congo, often referred to as the DRC. The country has been the victim of colonialism, dictatorship, foreign interference, and horrendous wars over the years. This history has produced complex modern-day conflicts over resources and ethnic tensions within the country. Before explaining this history, we would like to warn you that the information and audio presented may be disturbing. Listener discretion is advised. The Democratic Republic of the Congo is located in the center of Africa. It is within the heart of the Congo rainforest, and it has a very small Atlantic coastline. Its land is filled with intricate river systems, water basins, and mountains. This land is some of the most resource-rich in the world, with large deposits of cobalt, gold, and other minerals. The country's central location means it borders many countries, including the Central African Republic, South Sudan, Rwanda, Burundi, Zambia, Angola, the Republic of the Congo, and a lake border with Tanzania. Similar to these surrounding countries, the DRC was subjected to European colonialism. In the 19th century, King Leopold of Belgium ruled the Congo as its absolute leader. He subjected the Congolese to severe abuse and used them to extract the country's resources. His rule over the Congo was so bad that it is considered one of the worst cases of European colonialism in Africa. Leopold's rule over the Congo ended in 1906 when he was forced to surrender it to the Belgian government. Although this was an improvement, the Congolese were still treated horribly. It wasn't until 1960 that the Congo was decolonized. Patrice Lumumba, an independence activist in the Congo, emerged as the DRC's first prime minister. He was a charismatic leader with popular support. However, a civil war broke out in the country, with some portions of the army seceding. The DRC was a new country that was ill-equipped to handle this crisis. So Lumumba appealed to the United Nations for assistance, but this request was denied. Therefore, Lumumba turned to the Soviet Union for assistance. The United States caught wind of this and viewed Lumumba's government as a threat. The CIA then collaborated with separatist forces to have Lumumba kidnapped and killed. The slaying of Patrice Lumumba, deposed Congo Premier, touches off worldwide demonstrations, small groups of students and others, as here in Chicago and in London. Credulous palms, it is believed, of communists and their dupes in deliberate organized attempts to undermine democracy and the United Nations. They hardly speak for the rank and file. Lumumba's death set off international protests, but there was minimal international action. As a result, the DRC began down a death spiral of destabilization. Also, due to colonialism, many of the Congolese did not have access to higher education meaning there were few experts capable of starting a new country. This contributed to instability within the country, and by 1965, a military coup established Joseph Mobutu as leader. Mobutu would rename the country Zaire, and he would go on to be known as one of Africa's most notorious dictators. He was violently oppressive towards political opposition, and his government was incredibly corrupt. Mobutu was known to exploit his government's treasury to pay his political allies. In fact, Mobutu purposely slowed national development in order to receive foreign aid. 
This aid was abused, and by 1990, Zaire was $10 billion in debt. This made Mobutu an incredibly unpopular figure in Zaire. However, in 1990, another conflict was brewing in neighboring Rwanda. Rivalry between Tutsi and Hutu ethnic groups was escalating. This reached a culminating point in 1994 with the Rwandan genocide. This genocide resulted in the murder of hundreds of thousands of people in the span of months. If you want to learn more about this, please check out our Instagram page and our recent post about the Rwandan genocide. The conflict in Rwanda displaced millions of people, meaning millions of Tutsi refugees ended up in neighboring Zaire. Hidden among these Tutsis were Hutus who had perpetrated this genocide. Politicians in Rwanda wanted to hold these Hutus accountable for their crimes, but they were in sovereign territory. So the Alliance of Democratic Forces for the Liberation of the Congo, or AFDL, was created. This military force was composed of Ugandans, Rwandans, Congolese dissidents, and others. Despite fighting together, the factions within this alliance had unique reasons for wanting war in Zaire. In 1997, the AFDL invaded Zaire, causing the First Congo War. The AFDL toppled the government, causing Mobutu to flee the country. The AFDL then put Laurent Kabila in power, and Kabila changed the country's name from Zaire to the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Many Congolese celebrated the fall of Mobutu, but their political issues were far from over. Kabila proved to be an incredibly inept politician, making him unpopular. Furthermore, Kabila began to dissociate himself from Tutsi militant groups who had put him in power. As a result, these Tutsi groups, along with Uganda militants and Congolese military defectors, turned on Kabila's government. This led to the start of the Second Congo War. This war lasted from 1998 to 2003, and it was incredibly gruesome. In fact, it is the deadliest conflict since World War II. It is estimated that around 5.4 million people died in the war. Although this conflict started for political reasons, it quickly devolved into a war over the country's resources. Because of this, alliances became incredibly fluid. There were countless militant groups with different acronyms and different motives for fighting in the war. We usually like to do an in-depth breakdown of the different sides of a conflict, but attempting to explain the different militant groups would just make it more confusing. It's best to think of the conflict as similar to World War I, numerous military alliances that further escalated violence. The war reached a culminating point in 2001, when Laurent Kabila was assassinated by one of his child soldiers. By this point, the DRC was under pressure by the international community to push for peace. Joseph Kabila, the son of Laurent Kabila, took power in the DRC. He was a much more apt politician, making him more capable of handling the conflict. In addition, a United Nations peace agreement was reached, resulting in the slow withdrawal of Rwandan and Ugandan troops. The United Nations also formed the largest UN peacekeeping force in history. The UN force in the DRC is called MINUSCO, and although it has been greatly scaled back since the conflict, it is still one of the largest UN peacekeeping forces in the world. 
Around the 2000s, another monumental event was taking place in the West, the technology revolution. These are not three separate devices. This is one device. And we are calling it iPhone. Today, today Apple is going to reinvent the phone. Personalized technology was on the rise with smartphones, PCs, laptops, and other tech becoming a staple of the modern home. A key mineral in making nearly all of these devices is coltan. In fact, coltan is probably in the device you are using to listen to this podcast. This mineral is key to meeting the technology demands of today. The Democratic Republic of the Congo happens to be one of the largest coltan deposits in the world. In fact, it's estimated that around 80% of the world's coltan supply is in the DRC. In theory, this should serve to the DRC's benefit, since its rich mineral resources could be used to build up the country's infrastructure. In reality, it is the opposite. The minerals have been a curse to the country since it has sent it into a continuous cycle of violence. Although it sounds counterintuitive, the destabilization of the DRC makes the price of coltan cheaper. If the government wasn't corrupt and didn't have to deal with conflicts within its borders, it could implement better regulation on the mineral industry. This increased bureaucracy would drive up the price of these minerals. Instead, African warlords and politicians take advantage of the situation in the DRC. They use child labor to keep mining costs low, and they sell these minerals to corporations. They keep the large majority of these profits to themselves, and it has created an incentive to maintain violence. This is apparent in rural parts of the eastern DRC. For example, in the Aturi province, ethnic tensions between the Hema and Lendu people have been inflamed. The Democratic Republic of Congo's army is pushing back rebels from the group, the Cooperative for the Development of Congo. It accuses them of killing civilians in the nearby village of Koli on Saturday night while people were sleeping. After we destroyed the militia's stronghold, they're trying to block the main road and they ambushed the army, but we're fighting against them and we'll make sure they're defeated. The rebels mainly come from the Lendo ethnic group. They are farmers which have been in conflict with the Hema Herbers over land rights for decades. UN investigators say there appears to be a deliberate attempt by Lendu militias to force Hema herders from the region. The Hema and Lendu groups in this area have been known to take up arms over the past decade. However, the large majority of the atrocities have been committed by Lendu militias against Hema civilians. There are numerous reports of these militias ransacking, burning, and indiscriminately shooting civilians in rural villages. In the Aturi province, there are also mineral mines. Many people in the area have accused DRC politicians, Rwandan warlords, and Ugandan warlords of taking advantage of the conflict for profit. In fact, Rwandan-linked militant groups still operate in the eastern DRC. According to locals, the UN peacekeeping force in the area has done little to stop the violence. The forces often arrive after a village has been targeted. 
Furthermore, the UN peacekeeping force in the DRC consumes a huge portion of the UN peacekeeping budget. Some Congolese are frustrated that these resources are not being used more effectively. There have been conflicts in situations like this outside of the Ituri province. Although the DRC's cities appear peaceful, the rural regions of the country still bear much of the violence. Because of this, a massive refugee crisis has been created. Although estimates greatly vary, at least 5 to 6 million people have been displaced by these conflicts. Most of these refugees are internally displaced within the DRC. Unfortunately, many refugee camps within the DRC are ill-equipped in meeting the demands of the crisis. In the Aturi province, there are 64 refugee camps, but these camps can only accommodate 12% of those displaced. Many refugees are homeless waiting for a spot in these refugee camps. These people try to find host families, create makeshift tents, sleep in abandoned buildings, or sleep on the street. Those who are able to leave the country typically seek asylum in Uganda, Burundi, Tanzania, Rwanda, and other African countries. However, some of these countries still have conflicts and issues of their own, making it difficult for refugees from the DRC. The international community has made some efforts to regulate conflict minerals, which are resources that are fueling violence. In 2010, the United States passed a law requiring companies to disclose their use of conflict minerals. In 2019, Apple, Google, Dell, Microsoft, and Tesla were sued over the death of children in mineral mines. Although these efforts are promising, conflict has not subsided in the DRC. There are countless rebel groups still fighting within the country. Before ending this episode, we would like to recommend an organization that is working to help refugees from the DRC. This week, it is Save the Children. Children have been greatly affected by violence in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. Save the Children is helping by providing humanitarian aid in the form of healthcare, food, and educational services. Their link will be in the description. Although we do recommend this charity, it is important that you do your own research before spending your own money. That concludes this episode of The Refugee Report. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and share it with a friend. Make sure to follow us on all of our social media at Wartime Aid. Join us next week to learn about the refugee crisis in Iraq. As always, thank you for listening.